I was thinking about what did I love about Kid Rock as a fan, as a listener. I remember being poor and white and thinking it was something I could fit into. kids ever do this do they ever like uh walk up to you and open whatever they're about to say with guess what oh god yeah they like yeah like yeah all the time yeah like uh, my girlfriend's daughter like just every every single thought she has has to be prefaced with guess what <laughs> and then the, does your does she actually make you guess a lot of most yeah. of the time yes yeah because quinn will sit there and be like no you have to guess and I, i'm not doing this i don't want to fucking guess yeah, tell me the story uh so I just like I wonder why that's a a kid thing because it's not like we teach them that right like, but they all do it at some point like just like imagine using that in your daily life you know imagine <laughs> like just you you want you've got to like uh, submit a proposal or talk about some difficult project <laughs> with your boss you walk up to him the first words out of your mouth are guess what <laughs> <laughs> if I did that I think they'd assume something blew up or something. <laughs> Guess what? Uh, you're fired. I'm gonna start my next meeting that way. Then guess we'll, what? I'll sign on. I'm like, all right, guys. Guess what? <laughs> like, there's like with a kid, it's totally innocent. But I think with an adult, there's nothing more unsettling <laughs> than opening with guess what. We the youngest one did start doing the why thing. Oh yeah, that is an, another universal kid thing where the, he's like, why? Like, well, you know, because this is what we do. Why? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, why is this is a thing that every kid does at some point? Yeah, and it either forces you to be like a, a rhetorical mastermind. Yes, it gets or, really weird, or just a bitter, cynical dude. <laughs> <laughs> it always ends with it just cause. Yeah, it's just, just because, man. Yeah. And, uh, and that is also the truth about this world in which we inhabit. All right, welcome to Polishing Turds with Nick and Cal. My name is Nick! And I'm Cal. And this is the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of bad music. <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to do that intro before I even read the script. I was like, at some point in this series, one of us is going to do it. You have no idea how scared I was to do that. Like knowing that if I really went hard, it would just ruin my voice for the rest <laughs> of the recording, which thankfully doesn't seem like it's happened. But uh, we will uh, find out in the fullness of time, I suppose. And uh, as you might have uh, surmised, today we are going to talk about an artist that I've wanted to cover for a very, very long time. He's part rock and roll, part hip-hop, part country, and all trash. He's met three U.S. presidents, sold 35 million records, and proudly established himself as the foul-mouthed redneck that people love to hate. It's Kid Rock, baby! Yeah! This one's up there with Limp Bizkit for me, of like childhood uh, memories, like music taste forming in my own life. I had a phase where I genuinely loved Kid Rock. Mm, oh yeah. At least that the one Devil Without a Cause album. 
Do you remember how you first uh, came into knowing about Kid Rock? I think it was you. It was either you or our one friend, Tony. It was it was definitely Tony who introduced it to me. Tony was like our mutual friend at that point. Yeah. And he, like, you know, had a slightly more troubled life than we did. And he came in, he learned about Kid Rock, introduced it to the two of us. And we'll go on a little bit about this, you know, for me later. But like, it was a, a revelation to my 12-year-old self. Yes. <laughs> wow, he swears a lot on here. <laughs> he says, fuck, and it's cool. <laughs> There's a song called Fuck Off. <laughs> this, this was also like, you know, South Park was like just getting going. Yes. Like, this was that era where that stuff was still novel. Yeah, like, if you're, like, a 30-something woman and you've wondered why every, like, guy your age has been total trash your whole life, like, really, <laughs> this is the the ground zero is, like, late 90s Kid Rock and South Park <laughs> and maybe Limp Bizkit in that mix, just, just completely poisoning all of our minds with one fell swoop. Um, and just, just kind of like get people into the zone. Like Kid Rock is a guy that carries a lot of baggage with him. There's a lot of stereotypes associated with uh, this artist. And, uh, I, I tried to dig up a few of the more common Kid Rock jokes that you find on like Reddit and Twitter and whatnot. Yeah. Kid Rock makes music for people who smoke cigarettes in the house. <laughs> Kid Rock makes music for people who know exactly how many boxes of Sudafed you have to buy at one time at Walgreens. <laughs> Kid Rock makes music for people who have to start their car with a breathalyzer. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, he'd be the first to admit that that kind of is what he's going for. Yeah, I would say that's about true. And I think he knows it. Now, as we kind of intimated, this series is going to be a bit personal for both of us, but me in particular. You see, Kid Rock's breakout album, Devil Without a Cause, was the first CD I ever bought with my own money. I was just 11 years old, and I rode my bike to the Sam Goody at Madison's West Town Mall. I almost bought the clean version by mistake, but thankfully some good Samaritan behind the counter pointed me toward the real thing with the precious parental advisory sticker in the bottom right corner. What a saint. Yeah. <laughs> that that man saved you a very disappointing experience. That pimply teenager is doing God's work. Yep. And I, I only hope that, uh, you know, his second divorce has gone okay <laughs> here in 2023. So I bought the CD and examined the jewel case. Staring back at me with dead-eyed cool beneath a bowler hat and white boy dreads was my new messiah. For the next few months, Kid Rock was my universe the pinnacle of musical achievement as far as my preteen mind was concerned. Now, my parents, naturally, were not too keen on the kid. Where I saw a genuine badass who ignited my latent curiosity for all things dangerous, they just saw a foul-mouthed scumbag who threatened the innocence of their firstborn son. And I can't say I blame them. An 11-year-old boy probably shouldn't be thinking about strippers, Jack Daniels, and caps of meth. But nonetheless... Kid Rock was a revelation for me. It was my first exposure to hard rock, which became the foundation of my musical taste throughout my teens. And though I'm embarrassed to admit it now, my journey through the wonderful world of good music began somehow with Kid Rock. The most unlikely of heroes. <laughs> and uh, this is just something that I've always kind of felt conflicted on because I still I still like hard rock. I still like 
actually good hip hop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, in the past couple of years, I've been getting into more and more like actually good country and just, you know, kid rock was my first exposure to literally all of those things. And I don't know, like, would it have been different or better if like I had started with Led Zeppelin rather than no, wading I, through this roundabout route? I think it's a natural progression. I think everyone, when they start learning about music, like their taste is crap. Yeah. That's just how where everybody starts. You just kind of like what's on the radio. You heard once and that's some people eventually become big music nerds like us. <laughs> yeah. I think you just kind of have to hope that it reaches that point someday. Um, and I don't know what exactly steered me in the right direction. I know it was uh, the fact that I had musical parents and a lot of friends, you know, like you and others with good taste, but like, thankfully <laughs> it, it only, I'm not going to say this lasted longer than like a year because I'm pretty sure by the time uh, Cocky came out in 2001, I was yeah, over I was this guy. Done. But uh, there, there was a time in my life where like Kid Rock was probably more important to me than my parents. <laughs> yeah, the progression went it went Kid Rock, and then I was limping with the Bizkit for a while. <laughs> and I liked like Rob Zombie, and then it be- then became Corn. That was my one. Corn, yeah, Corn was big. And then it moved into yeah. I, then after that, I picked up guitar and started realizing like. Oh, like Metallica is where it's at, and I changed everything. Yeah, I think Metallica and then uh, Nirvana. I think was the first like band that I'm not embarrassed today today to like. You know, yeah, you liked Pearl Jam pretty young too. Yeah, I got I got into like a '90s alternative when I was in like eighth grade, and that was that was a really good starting point for all the like Indian punk rock that I've been listening to ever since. But yeah, just like you know, point zero fucking devil without a cause i can't i can't erase that now there's one other thing about devil without a cause that i want to mention on the album's insert there's a quotation attributed to kid rock himself the quote goes if it looks good you'll see it if it sounds good you'll hear it if it's marketed right you'll buy it but if it's real you'll feel it now forget about the real part for a sec to me the most interesting line in that quote is If it's marketed right, you'll buy it. In many ways, that is the central lesson one draws from a study of Kid Rock's career. That's interesting that he just threw it right in the liner like that. Yeah. He's not even trying to hide it. It's almost weird he tacked on, but if it's real, you'll feel it. That's like the most (laughs) unnecessary part. Yeah, and like the implication is that because his music is so real, you just can't help but feel it. I mean, I definitely feel something when I listen to Temple Without a Cause today. <laughs> I don't, it, it doesn't feel like his realness. No. Now, throughout his career, Kid Rock has been a musical shapeshifter, seamlessly adapting from old school hip hop to late 90s rap rock to the mix of country and southern rock that he's known for today. The constant through line is Rock's ability to establish a unique personal brand that somehow makes sense of it all. Whether you love or hate Kid Rock, you have a certain idea of who he is. He's a pimped out trailer trash redneck drinking Budweiser on a porch or something like that. This carefully crafted image has made Kid Rock an enduring figure in a changing musical landscape. If it's marketed right, you'll buy it. Or at least someone will. All right, so uh, before we begin, um, I'm going to make an announcement that may please some and may horrify others. This is going to be a five-part series. Like, All right. Like we find, boy. yeah, this is our first uh, episode of what we're calling season three yep. of Polishing Turds. Um, every year we like to do at least one big series. Uh, this is going to be 
the the at least the first one that we have on the docket. Um, so it's going to be five episodes, and each episode is going to focus on a different phase of Kid Rock's career, and they're all going to be quite different from each other. You know, much like uh, Frieza from Dragon Ball Z, he is a monster with multiple forms, <laughs> each more horrific than the last. And uh, today we're going to begin with Kid Rock's debut album, which, contrary to popular belief, is not Devil Without a Cause. That is not going to come till much later. His earliest stuff actually goes back to the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I promise you, it's it's going to, if you've never heard it or heard of it, it's you're going to be pretty shocked. Yeah, this was a lot for me, like the, the Black Eyed Peas when we did them. Like, there's this whole <laughs> uh, base groundwork we have to lay. Yeah. Because uh, there was a bunch of albums before the one that got big. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, this is going to be like... Uh, the Ken Burns Vietnam series where he has to go back to like French colonialism yeah. in the late 1890s <laughs> to set up why we were, you know, like napalming them in the 60s. Like there's a there's a whole backstory here that needs to be fleshed out before you can make sense of cowboy. He's think of him like Gandalf. And this is the Silmarillion. <laughs> we got to start. <laughs> we got to start with the creation. Yes. <laughs> oh, real quick, Cal. There's something I wanted to show you. Um Cop onto Google right now and let's see if we can find the photo I'm thinking of. It's Kid Rock flat top photo. Oh my oh, the, yeah, first first that that first one that popped up. <laughs> Is it just me or does he weirdly look like Macaulay Culkin when he was young? <laughs> You're not the only person who's made that comparison. Um I really think uh like if there's ever a biopic of Kid Rock, which yeah. there should be, Macaulay Culkin needs to star in that movie. But oh, uh, okay, so we're we're looking at a press photo of Kid Rock from 1990, and Cal, can you just describe to me what you're seeing? <laughs> Is that called, that's called a flat top? He's yes. got his, all his hair sticking straight up and then flat, like he looks like an eraser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a white boy flat top. Oh man, that's glorious! It's just like, I'm gonna post it on social media soon, but it's it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see, especially when we knowing what we know now about how Kid Rock wants to be seen. This is like the <laughs> exact opposite of that. But yeah, like uh, today we're gonna talk about the old school uh, hip hop Kid Rock back when he was a. Uh, a rapper from the D and not like uh, some country boy from the States. Yeah. I I'm excited to get to these clips. Cause uh, this, this album blew my mind a bit. And then before we kind of launch into this, uh, is there anything Cal that like, when you think about this, uh, this the monster of music, Kid Rock, is there anything that you're excited to learn about or curious about, or, you know, just, just want to understand curious about him, the real Kid Rock. Cause contrary to the liner note quote in the jewel case, I mean, everything about this guy uh, just screams not genuine to me. The way he's <laughs> he's transitioned from all these musical styles, and they're all, you know, typically stolen from other artists. Yes. Oh, he, I, yeah. I just really want to know more about the man Kid Rock instead of the legend. It is. It's going to be a case where it's going to be very difficult to separate the two because Kid Rock is a master of his own myth making, and so much of his appeal is him trying to borrow like imagery and music and ideas from other artists to the point where it it gets extremely frustrating at times because like listening to him is just like a 
you know, little girl like cutting and pasting things out of a magazine, throwing it into a <laughs> scrapbook and calling it her own art. These are you know? things I think are cool. Yeah. But I think there is some there is a there there deep down. And I really think that a lot of this episode, we're going to plant the seeds of it. We're going to talk about where he came from, what his actual roots are, the type of home he actually grew up in. And I think that's going to go a long way to explaining where he ended up. All right. Are you ready, Cal? I am ready. Let's polish this turn. Yeah, it's funny how these things stick with you. <laughs> I, I can see, I can still rap most of that song. Oh, me too. Uh, I, I forget my children's birthdays, but I know <laughs> the lyrics to this song. My girlfriend was horrified when she realized that I knew every word to this song still <laughs> in in this twenty first century. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, there is like a a scientific fact that like the stuff that you absorb between the ages of like 11 and 13, that's when your brain is uh, like most elastic or whatever. Like when you, you absorb the most stuff and like, you know, like if we were smart, we'd be studying like algebra and programming and and shit like that. Instead (laughs) of memorizing kid rock, we're memorizing fucking kid rock. (laughs) But uh, you know, even that song that we just played is a good example of what I was talking about is uh, like, he's trying to, to like steal his cool he's trying to like uh, amalgamate his own image as a patchwork of all these different things like shots of jack caps of meth you know hookers and you, right. you know like crooked cops and just all these things like he's saying i belong next to all this stuff and this is what i want you to associate me with mm-hmm. so, and that's his whole game is you know kind of telling not showing yeah and he, he does it with musical ideas as well Oh, absolutely. And we will see plenty of that. Now, one of the keys to understanding Kid Rock is cracking through the layers of self-mythology he's poured on over the years like so much asphalt. In the early days, when the kid was still rapping, he sold himself as a product of the rough streets of East Detroit. Years later, when he moved on to country, Rock sang about growing up in the sticks, boasted about his pro-dunk credentials, even claiming at one point... I ain't straight out of Compton. I'm straight out the trailer. Classic line. Spitting <laughs> hot fire. In truth, however, the man who became Kid Rock was born into a level of wealth and privilege that 99% of us could never even fathom. His hometown is Romeo, Michigan, a small suburban community about 45 minutes north of Detroit, home to roughly 3,600 people. I really yeah. hope that wasn't a spoiler for anyone, that Kid Rock is not actually from the trailers. <laughs> he didn't actually grow up in a double wide. <laughs> he didn't, his feet didn't uh, drink bottles of bush light instead of milk. I'm, t- I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> uh, no, uh, actually, he grew up on a six acre estate that included a 5,628 square foot mansion 
plus a guest house, a five-car garage, a tennis court, and an apple orchard all on the property. (laughs) Now I'm just picturing little Kid Rock. He has a British accent for some reason. He's frolicking around the apple orchard. (laughs) I'm Lord Rock. (laughs) Lord of the Rock. (laughs) Yeah, so... So I tried to do some research on Romeo uh, as much as I could. Um, it's about eight hours away from where we live, and I thought about making the drive, oh, but geez. I can't justify it, just wasting a whole weekend yeah. on that. But um, from what I could gather, it just seems like this kind of pleasant, you know, mostly middle to upper middle class town, like the kind of place that people who you know, run successful businesses in Detroit, uh, try to move their families to. And that's exactly what happened with Kid Rock's family. And it actually kind of reminded me of the town that I work in. See, uh, I work at a cafe in this uh, town that's uh, just like a, just a, about 15 minutes outside of Madison. So it's kind of on the periphery of where suburban meets rural. You know, so you've got a lot of people that live in these like rich, you know, little McMansion-y neighborhoods. And then you got some like a fair amount of like farmers and truckers mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, people of that nature. Um, so, you know, just like the whole, a lot of, you know, diversity within the spectrum of white people, because that's <laughs> yes. like 98% of the town. But I really feel that like Romeo seems like a town that's comparable to that. So I, I feel like I kind of know the vibe that Kid Rock grew up around. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, he didn't grow up in the sticks like he you know, he didn't grow up on a farm or like uh, in a double wide or anything yep. like that. I didn't think for one second that he was a, <laughs> genuinely a guy who like just drug himself up from his passionate love of the arts. Yeah, no, uh, like, he's he's a businessman from the get go. But at the same time, the place where he did live, it is kind of remote enough. It is kind of out on the outskirts of town. It's. If you just use your imagination a little bit, it does seem a little bit country. Yeah. Like it's remote. It's it's definitely wealthy and suburban, but remote enough that it could feel like the country if you you know just kind of stretch imagination. stretch things a little bit. He lives in real America, but at the same time, uh, it's a relatively short drive from Detroit. I imagine that his family probably took him into the city. You know, when the occasion warranted, he had to go there to go to concerts and shit right. like that. Yeah, so it's like you or me going to Milwaukee. Yeah. It's not that far. Yeah. So like he is familiar enough with the city and he very proudly identifies with Detroit and its very rich musical legacy. And I just, if we are talking about unpacking the keys to Kid Rock's identity, I think he, one of the things he really wants more than anything is to be considered part of Detroit's musical legacy. Like, you know, you got like... <laughs> and they actively do not want him. <laughs> he is he is the living embodiment of the drunk uncle that shows up on Thanksgiving. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, and Tom's coming, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, a, I mean, like, it's a complicated legacy because uh, they did like him a lot at one point. But we'll, we'll have to see how all of that fleshed out. All right, so let's get into his actual biography. Kid Rock was born Robert James Ritchie on January 17th, 1971. His birthday is one day off from mine. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. I, I know. <laughs> one day. Instead, I share a birthday with Justin Bieber, actually. Which is worse? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I almost, almost have that like a uh, little level of, you know, kinship with Kid Rock. <laughs> so 
So his father, Bill Ritchie, was a millionaire who owned two Lincoln Mercury dealerships in the Detroit area. He would spend much of his life unsuccessfully trying to lure young Bobby into his auto business. Like most Midwestern dads of that era, he was hardworking and conservative, but also had an amiable personality and could appreciate a good dirty joke. Like, uh, here's just like a little tidbit about the uh, elder Bill Ritchie is uh, he's being interviewed by Rolling Stone, I think in like 2007 or something like that. And uh, the reporter talks about how they're standing on his front porch in like the, the mansion he grew up in. And at one point, mid-interview, Bill Ritchie pauses to take a leak right off the porch. <laughs> like right in front of a fucking reporter. And Cal, like, you know, correct me if you think I'm off base here, but, you know, we're both Midwestern guys. So we we know, like, what the Midwestern mindset is, if, if you can, if there is such a thing. Yes. But like, I feel like there's a lot of people out here who are rich but don't have class. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, like it's like if you think of like a, a rich person in Connecticut, like you think of like all of the. Yeah, like prim and proper. Prim and proper, like speaking perfect English, bragging about which Ivy League schools their yeah. kids are into. No, I know rich people that still sit there and drink Bush Light. Yes. <laughs> you know, because that's what they like and that's what they know. Yeah, it is like very common in the Midwest to be rich, but also still tacky. Yep. And I feel like. That seems to be where Kid Rock's parents are at. I feel like I know this exact man. <laughs> yes. I have met many of this person. 100%. Now, Bob Ritchie is the third of four siblings. His oldest sister handles his finances, while his younger sister, Jill, is an actress. I haven't been able to like, uh, see any of her work personally, but uh, according to her IMDb, she hasn't done any work since 2007. Okay. So career kind of petered out before well, it was an actress yeah was an actress hopefully she's doing something cool now maybe she maybe she has a happy life but i think the most interesting sibling is bob Ritchie's older brother billy now billy lost his right leg in a tractor accident at age six however in spite of this disability billy still managed to play competitive sports including football and skiing this inspiring feat earned Billy coverage from local news stations, and he even appeared on the national TV show That's Incredible. So, like, in the early days, like, Kid Rock is still in grade school. His older brother is, like, on national TV and, like, being featured in the Detroit newspaper and stuff. And uh, Kid Rock actually says that all the attention Billy got made him jealous. So, like, so Billy's deformed. He's, right. he's, he's missing a leg. He had this horrific, traumatizing accident. And all uh, <laughs> Fucking Bo- Billy. And all Bobby could think about is like, why is he getting all the new news cameras? I want to be in front on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I feel like that speaks to who Bob Ritchie is quite a lot. Yeah. As we said, Bob Ritchie's dad was a hardworking dude, but he still knew how to get down. The man's motto was work hard, play hard. And indeed, every Friday night, Bill Ritchie and his wife would invite friends over for wild parties on the property's barn. There, the adults would get wicked drunk and listen to the likes of Bob Seger, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, and Hank Williams Jr. Of course, uh, Bobby himself was no stranger to these gatherings. Uh, He says that as young as six years old, he would uh, show up to these parties dressed in a tiny cowboy hat and boots, strumming a fake guitar and singing Bad Bad Leroy Brown for the adults' entertainment. Huh. <laughs> yeah, what do, you, I, what, do you, what do you think of that? I know when I'm having getting wicked drunk and having a party, I actively don't want the children around. 
<laughs> right? I, you know, I've read multiple stories where like this was a thing, like uh, particularly like people of that generation seem to really like taking little children and having them sing songs for the adults entertainment. Like one of that um, episode of the Simpsons. I was where, just going to bring that up. Yeah. Where Bart like sings like, what is it? Like the teddy bear song for the people at Moe's. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that used to be like a way more common trope. Yeah, even even like Joe Para had a little bit about that. He was in the bar with his dad or something. Oh he yeah. Sang. <laughs> why? Like, I, yeah, I don't know. Why does anybody consider that fun? Like, I mean, and, and there was a Simpsons where they're having like an awkward dinner party. Things are going poorly, mm-hmm. and Lisa comes in to start singing as a distraction, and Mo's like, "Oh great, now you got the kids singing." <laughs> so I don't know. It was enough of a thing to warrant Simpsons jokes. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. You know, definitely. Not the most ethical parenting, if you ask me, to like drag your right. kid up a bunch of raving, stomping, we're, we're drunk, drunk hillbillies. Perform for us. <laughs> the reason I bring this up is mainly because I think the the music that his parents were playing at these parties, all this like country and classic rock and southern rock, I really think that's like the backbone of Kid Rock's musical taste and his musical identity. Like if you peel back all the layers, that's what he really loves and connects to Mm -hmm. and i think as these episodes go on we're gonna see that manifest itself big time yeah and that makes sense i mean i grew up all listening to all classic rock all the time i think that's where my appreciation of that comes from yeah and you know i still listen to like a lot of the uh, jazz records that my dad poured down my throat but as young bobby grew into adolescence he discovered a brand new musical love one that his parents weren't so fond of like many of the artists we've covered Bob Ritchie discovered hip-hop in the mid-80s, and it was an absolute revelation. So, uh, yeah, so, like, much like Fred Durst or, you know, Will I Am, like, he discovers hip-hop in the 80s, and it's just, like, fucking off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that his mom bought him a set of turntables uh, for Christmas when he was 13, and he taught himself how to scratch records. This is actually a running theme. He taught himself how to play pretty much every instrument that he plays. And he supposedly, actually, I've, I've seen him do this. He plays every instrument in his band. Okay. And he's, uh, and he's you know, according to him, all self-taught. So he's a talented multi-instrumentalist, Kid Rock. I don't know about like talented I know, at, I at say, instruments. He's, he's probably like... a lot like me, where he's like above the average person at a lot of instruments but yeah. not really great at any i mean he he plays better than fred durst yes but, uh, but like you know he's more about like just the the hustle than the actual yeah. musicianship yeah so like he's teaching himself how to scratch records um definitely confusing the shit out of his parents like, like, <laughs> like, what is this <laughs> why are you breaking your turntables <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, more controversially, I imagine, he started hanging out with the black kids in school and uh, started dating a, a black woman named Kelly South Russell, who is the woman who would eventually give birth to Kid Rock's only son. Uh, we'll flesh out that story a little bit later. But I, you know, just again, knowing uh, what the Midwest is like, especially back in the 80s, yeah. I imagine this did not go down well. Yeah. I but, know. As much as we... Uh... Wish that wasn't the case. I'm willing to bet they were not thrilled. No, like uh, Michigan in the 80s, no better than the South, really, yeah. when it comes to, you know, interracial relations of any kinds. And uh, but like he genuinely made friends with uh, with the black kids. And he talks about how 
you know, he had uh, he had friends back in uh, Mount Clemens, which is kind of a a working class uh, black suburb of Detroit, and uh, his friends from the from Mount Clemens would pick him up from his home in Mount in Romeo you know, to go to like parties and shit like that, where he would DJ, and just like imagine like uh you know these these uh, black kids from the hood get in a car, drive all the way out to this, you know, white ass suburb where they're definitely getting looks from each and individual household. They fucking pick up their friend Bobby from his fucking palatial estate. And they're like, what the fuck, son? Why are you hanging out with us? <laughs> the exact opposite of Token in South Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a, just a very some very interesting things going on in this kid's life. And you know, between him and Fred Durst, like why are we like our lamest people, our representatives that make friends with the black kids? <laughs> like we have cooler guys you can hang with than Fred and Bobby. Did they though? <laughs> this, is, this is Michigan in the eighties. I, I imagine that he was just a lot cooler back then. Like, yeah, it must he, be. I mean, even now, like he has charm. He has personality. He definitely has no shortage of self-confidence. So I think he's just he's just one of those absolute go-getter guys that's just going to do what he wants and just doesn't care about what people think. And he's just out for, you know, love and attention mm-hmm. at all costs. And, you know, perhaps even back then, negative attention was good attention to him. Now, by his mid-teens, Bobby was regularly showing off his DJ skills at house parties in Mount Clemens. Now, though the crowds at these shows were almost entirely black, Bobby still managed to win them over with his scratching as well as his rapping. He became known around town as That White Kid Who Rocks, and thus, our hero's moniker was born. <laughs> I just have such a tough time believing it. <laughs> hey, it's that white kid who rocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we also didn't consider that, like, Maybe he wasn't hanging out with the coolest black kids. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe those black kids were rebels for having one white white friend. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think the, the name Kid Rock, it's definitely one that he seems to regret having. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a weird name for just what he is nowadays. That is true. I mean, now, yeah, now that he's in his late 40s. Oh, early 50s, actually. Yeah, and he's singing, you know, country. Yeah, it makes less sense. Yeah, but like he's just stuck with it. Yeah, you can't change the brand. It's like we talked about the Vanilla Ice. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not worth starting over. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, got to stay on brand. And uh, as you might imagine, uh, during this time, Bobby got into a fight, uh, a lot of fights with his parents. Um, he says that sometimes uh, he would run away from home for weeks at a time and just crash with his friends in Mount Clemens. Like he'd just be this... Uh, this white kid hanging out in the hood again, like just totally unheard of at the time or really nowadays. Right. Yeah. You know, it sounds he got, had some luck on his side that nothing ever went wrong doing this. Yeah. He's he, I heard him uh, say once there was, there's only one time he got jumped. And uh, when that happened, he had this, uh, this uh, friendly woman who was like this, this old lady that like, you know, drank malt liquor, but, but still carried around a gun. And, mm. you know, she found the kids who were beating him up and like chased them away with her, her revolver or something like that. Uh, which just seems like just too wild right. to be true. But, um, he would be walking these streets, uh, sometimes and, uh, cops would 
pull up next to him and be like, are you lost? Are you lost, son? <laughs> like, they would, like, genuinely want to, like, give him a ride home, like, worried <laughs> about him. Be like, no, nah, man, I live here. <laughs> so, like, he's, he's like, he's slumming it, basically. He's yeah. living out this, like, fantasy. I'm, I imagine that, like, the idea of just doing the one thing that would piss his dad off the most probably played into a lot of yeah. why he's doing all this stuff. I I'm- actually get this. I totally get this. I had a phase kind of like this. Yeah. Just kind of purposely living uh, below my, my means and yeah. status. Yeah. No, it's like, there's, it's a fantasy that I think a lot of, uh, you know like hip-minded white kids uh, from the suburbs uh, think about like just because it's so hard to be cool when you're from a place yeah. like Romeo, Michigan. Well, and you want to make sure you have, that's a life experience you kind of want. So yeah. when you're talking to some random guy at the bar, you actually have some, some life experience that isn't just suburb perfection. Yeah. You don't want to like, just say like, Oh, I had everything handed to me, you yep. know? Like, I, mean, I, just, I feel like I'm a much more interesting person because of the years I spent that way. Oh, for sure. And I'm not saying that he like didn't genuinely appreciate hip hop music or or black culture. I really think he does. But uh, I just I got to wonder if part of why he went to such extreme lengths to like try to blend in with that community had something to do with his kind of natural contrarianism. Yeah, big time. I'm sure. You know, just and again, like every other artist that we've covered, he he busts his ass. He really believes that his music is going to put him on top one day. So uh, he's developing his skills as a rapper. He's uh, going into local rap battles, uh, talent shows, which, you know, I was I always read about like people going to talent shows. Like, I don't know if that's still a thing I don't think anymore, it is. but like, just, just, just imagine being at one of the talent shows where Kid Rock performed and it's like, uh, here's Bobby who's gonna scratch his records. <laughs> and then next up we have Joe with his accordion. <laughs> it's just like, is it literally just like anyone with a talent? I think it is. Like it's just like, you know, one minute it's like yo-yo tricks. What then... if what if your talent is like peeing into an empty bottle from a very tall height? <laughs> like you just gotten really, really accurate. Yeah. Would they let me on the stage, I wonder? Well, I think Bam Margera got arrested for that once, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's probably indecent exposure. <laughs> All right, what if I face away? Because <laughs> the only thing that matters is if I'm going to pee into this cup. Nobody's allowed to look, but I promise you, when you turn your heads back, you're going to see it's gonna be a full, full cup. A, full, a cup, mason jar full of gorgeous yellow liquid. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so back to Kid Rock, he he forms this hip hop crew called the Beast Crew. Oh, shit. And uh, I just I love that name, the Beast Crew. Um, Here is a clip from one of their earliest demos. This is basically the first surviving footage we have of Kid Rock on tape. At 13, I was called the cool kid rock and got kicked out of school for smoking pop. But now I do jocks and pops and just lay low. I'm all about cooling out and just pulling hoes. Got draw. And if I, if I ain't got no money or juice at least, I got draw. I got draw. I got <laughs> and he never improved again. <laughs> I don't know. I think he got slightly better. Yeah, no, I agree. Getting some actual like studio level production will help a lot. Yeah. But I don't know, like the, just imagine like it's late 80s. 
you know, you see those guys passing around their tapes at a mall. They've got like a little, you know, thing of cardboard mm-hmm. flattened out so that they could do break dancing, you know, with like a, a boom box nearby. And, you know, that was the Beast Crew, like Kid Rock with his fucking flat top, <laughs> you know, and his uh, and his hip hop friends. After years of hustling and performing wherever he could, Kid Rock caught his first major break when he struck up a friendship with rapper D-Nice from the legendary hip-hop group Boogie Down Productions. Through D-Nice, he was able to land a record deal courtesy of Jive Records, who signed Kid Rock when he was just 17 years old. Jeez, okay, so he's he's on the Avril Lavigne end of things with just, just some pretty incredible luck here yeah exactly like he didn't he, have to hustle as long as a lot of people we've covered i mean he definitely worked but he did not have to work for like it's not like billy ray where he had to work for 10 years mm-hmm. in obscurity like kid rock got pretty lucky pretty early and i just again i keep going back to imaginary conversations between bobby ritchie and his dad bill he, like <laughs> the dad like can't wait for him to fail he can't wait for yeah. this his fucking smart ass yeah, son to like your rapping doesn't work out this. we'll be waiting here at the car dealership yeah it's like fuck you dad i got a record deal it's like god damn it did he, did he really <laughs> is he making that up <laughs> but no like just just imagine like he is barely out of high school and things are just looking up like he probably thought that he was just gonna you know like be the next beastie boys sell like five million records he had no reason not to think that like he was shitting gold with everything he did now that brings us to kid rock's little known debut album which is titled grit sandwiches for breakfast you know i i gotta talk about this i couldn't let it go (laughs) have you have you had grits i have not I, i i my exposure to Southern cooking and Southern living hasn't uh, been extensive enough to encounter okay. grits. Sadly. I love grits. It's like a, it's like oatmeal, but with corn, like it's a cornmeal mm. and it's usually savory. Like they're putting like whole sticks of butter in that bowl and letting it melt in. Yeah. <clears throat> usually with like shrimp and hot sauce. Like it's delicious. Uh, you cannot make a sandwich out of it. And I don't <laughs> know if that's like the joke. I don't like, I, I feel like the, this title is an in joke. I don't understand. Because like there a is lot no of the... such thing as a grit sandwich. I looked like on Google. Like, is this something I don't know about? Is it, is it a Detroit thing? Is that like just a... no? Because grits has the texture of like soup. Like <laughs> you, you can't make a sandwich out of it. Maybe he's so cool. The grits chill and coagulate <laughs> such to the extent they have a perfect consistency to be put on top of bread. <laughs> that could be. That actually could be. If you let it sit long enough, it could maybe get firm enough. So it should be like day old grits yeah. just for breakfast. <laughs> I'm I so wonder, poor, gotta eat leftovers. Maybe it's that. It's leftover grits. Like after they've been in the fridge for a whole night, you can just take a cold disc of it. Like it's buttery enough. That... Like is is that what he's bragging about? Yeah. That like he's so poor he has to eat leftover grits. I think. Yes, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, because like it's definitely not like you know filet mignons at my dad's guest yeah. house for breakfast. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, uh, this grit sandwiches album it was released on November twenty seventh of nineteen ninety, and uh, yeah, we we'll have a lot to say about this record. But first, uh, uh, we're gonna have to go back to Google because I want to show you Cal an image of this album cover. We just gotta we just gotta digest uh, this thing first of all. How do you describe this? This is like 
Ren and Stimpy style animation or <laughs> it's yeah it's or, a car- uh, it's a cartoon rendering of uh it's Kid Rock with his flat top and uh he's hanging out with a black guy outside a soul food restaurant yeah and he's got his paper bag liquor bottle in one hand and <laughs> but uh, the art style man I don't know what to call this it's it's a weird looking cover it just looks like a bad uh local magazine cartoon or something yeah like uh, it's uh it's definitely meant to convey this idea that Kid Rock is a man of the streets. Like yes. he's down with uh, this black guy. He's hanging outside of a soul food restaurant. Isn't that edgy? But like even in the photo, like the the other the the older black guy has his arm around him. Like he's got a shepherd Kid Rock through the hood. <laughs> he's got to like yo. Be you his... don't want to be walking out here. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be like this guy's living hood pass, and it, it it really looks like what it is, which is like this this young naive kid you know, slumming it in somebody else's, you know, neighborhood yeah. and environment. It's just, so, it's so weird to like, just admit that so openly <laughs> on, on the album cover. I gotta say too, this cover, at least for me, like, I think it might've played into why this spoilers didn't sell that well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd buy this just looking at this. No, I, I really don't understand. If you didn't know this guy in Detroit, I have a hard time seeing why you would just kind of get into this for any reason. It just, it's really weird and it doesn't seem like it takes itself seriously at all. Well, this will be one of his first lessons learned about uh, marketing then. Oh yeah. Like this is not marketed right. No. (laughs) And we'll, well, we'll let you be the judge of how real it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, it's about that quote. If it looks good, you'll see it. If it sounds good, you'll hear it. Has this show proven nothing if not you can still hear things if they sound bad? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. A lot of times terrible things become worldwide phenomenons. <laughs> yeah. Like your your senses can perceive anything. And that is a very terrifying fact that we have to deal with. Things you love, you'll look back later and just feel horribly embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> now, in contrast to the hard rock and country that people would eventually associate with Kid Rock... This album is pretty much straightforward old-school rap. It's basically just like a store-brand version of Run DMC or early Beastie Boys. Let's take a listen. This song is uh, from Grit Sandwiches. It's called Genuine Article. Yeah, so uh, what did you think of this record when you listened to it, Cal? I honestly kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, it has a lot of problems. There is a lot of things that annoyed me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to say this is a great rap album, but it may be my favorite kid rock album (laughs) (laughs) it was it's just a it's a fun time i don't think he's a terrible rapper at all i think he's pretty good yeah at least you know for old school standards yeah i mean it really just sounds like a like a product of that time it's not super 
experimental or you know raising the bar or anything the production is pretty good like uh he enlisted uh guys like too short and d nice and a lot of the the people associated with boogie down productions were involved so he's got a lot of very professional people composing the beats on this record and they all sound pretty tight yeah there's some parts in this album i'm sure you'll talk about it there's a ridiculous amount of sexual lyrics yes (laughs) which i know he's a horned up 18 year old kid but it's like over the top. Ever like this guy really wants to you to know he likes eating pussy. <laughs> it comes up over and over That's again. All he talks about, he like every track he talks about, like how often he gets laid or how much he loves pussy yep. in some way, shape, or form. And then there's one song I forget. He he also really wants you to know he's from Detroit, as Nick mentioned. Yes, <laughs> there is so much Detroit references. Yeah, not so much Romeo, one, like, but Detroit. He's from the D. Yeah, and then there's this one like two minute break in one song where he he'll say a name he'll be like so and so you're pimping you're pimping and it goes on it's everyone he's ever met in his life i swear to god it's like two minutes long it's a you know you find that on a lot of rap albums like there's like a little shout out section where like they let the beat run and they just like give shout outs to like everyone who helped them with the record or who they're just generally tight with i feel like uh that moment on the album as well as a few others it's like this tested well live and it works well at his live shows. Yeah. But he doesn't really realize that that doesn't really translate to an album that you listen yes. at home. I I think that's exactly what happened. If you if it was live, it'd be fine. It'd be fun. You'd be day like dancing. and. But this, if you were to listen to this more than once, if you really liked a few songs and this was in your regular car rotation, mm-hmm. I feel like you'd be so sick of that song by like the second or third time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, most of the... Yeah, so like you said, most of the songs uh, are about uh, sex in some way, shape, or form. But then there's one song called New York's Not My Home, which is really interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, He had to fly to New York to record the album because that's where Jive Records is based. Okay. And uh, so he apparently didn't enjoy the experience because this whole song is just a diss track against New York. Yes. Um, So in the first verse, he starts by like just dissing the things he doesn't like about New York, like how crowded it is, how the taxi drivers drive like maniacs. But then uh, in verse two, things take a very kind of gross and homophobic turn where um, he mentions, you know, in some very uh, not PC language, seeing a couple of, well, seeing some gay and Mm -hmm. transgender people walking down the street. And, uh, He's like, you know, in Detroit, they'd get dissed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was the nicest thing he said. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's, and, uh, you, you know, it, I mentioned that, you know, because, well, you know, it's indefensible, but it's also going to be a theme that we're going to run into a lot as we study Kid Rock. Yeah. That's, it's a little telling of what way his political leanings are going to go. Yeah. Like, like this guy, the first like four or five records, there is so much homophobia. We'll we'll kind of catalog it more later, but it really is over the top how anti-gay this guy is and what the lengths that he goes to express it. And there's there's no defense for it. I just wanted to prepare you guys for that up front. Like, you know, whatever I say about Kid Rock and how I may respect his hustle, like that part of him I, I don't like or defend nope. at all. <laughs> I don't think anyone's, you know, 
has any delusions that he is a, no. a super morally upstanding man no, with like, positive views of everyone. No, it's not like I'm surprising yeah. anybody, but like just just you know, for anybody who doesn't understand, just be prepared. This guy's got a lot of trash takes on a lot of different things, really. Oh, and and one last thing about the New York's not my home song. He complains that uh, in New York they pay over two fifty for a Big Mac. Oh god, damn. which apparently was a lot in nineteen ninety. <laughs> Things done changed. <laughs> now it must have been quite a trip for Kid Rock to drop a major label disc when he was just barely out of high school. That year, he would be a featured opener on Jive's Straight from the Underground tour, featuring D Nice, Too Short, and Ice Cube. Yeah, this motherfucker, like, in that form, was on the same bill with Ice Cube. That's insane. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's the token white guy. He's got to be. Like, how else do you explain this? <laughs> Just like, white privilege manifested <laughs> into a single individual. Like, this guy fucking born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. But alas, the good times would not last for long. As we intimated earlier, Grit Sandwiches for Breakfast was a commercial disappointment, selling just 100,000 copies. And within months, Kid Rock would be dropped from the label. Now, I think there are a few reasons that Kid Rock's debut album failed. Some are his fault and some aren't. And I want to kind of expound upon those reasons for the next few minutes. Reason number one, and this is the, the explanation that Kid Rock gives most commonly, is uh, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, the idea is that like Vanilla Ice blew up around this same time and uh, there was a very uh, immediate backlash. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's there's only room for one mediocre white rapper in yeah. this, this world at the time. <laughs> so, like, the idea of a solo white rapper was pretty novel in the you know late 80s, early 90s. Um, Vanilla Ice was the first one to break through, and he did it, like, kind of just before uh, Kid Rock did. And as we kind of said in that episode... The whole like vanilla ice rise and fall just happened so fast. It was like in the fucking blink of an eye. So I kind of want to revisit that, like how that whole timeline played out so that we can kind of understand uh, how Kid Rock fits into all this and whether that backlash really played into, you know, Kid Rock's fate. So let's just let's just take ourselves back. September 3rd, 1990. uh, That's when Vanilla Ice released his major label debut to the extreme. Uh, this is when uh, Ice Ice Baby is already on the radio and um, To the Extreme uh, becomes a number one hit like almost right away. It spends 16 weeks at number one on the Billboard charts, which to this day continues to amaze me <laughs> <laughs> like like that fucking album. And then uh, in early November of 1990, the Dallas Morning News publishes that article that basically rips into Vanilla Ice's uh, fake biography or partially faked biography mm-hmm. where he was a regional motocross champion, not a national motocross <laughs> champion, you know, the scandal of the fucking century. And uh, this kind of, this doesn't like take him down right away, but it starts this kind of adversarial relationship between Vanilla Ice and the national media. So that's in early November of 1990. In late November of 1990, that's when uh, Kid Rock's uh, Grit Sandwiches comes out and uh, at the time, you know, at the week that that's released, Vanilla Ice has the number one album. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this can go one of two ways. Like, he could either be seen as a wannabe Vanilla Ice, or it could be that he 
you know, kind of gets swept up and it actually helps him. Sure. I, I think I definitely would lean. It's going to hurt more than it helps. Yeah. Because again, I, the white rapper thing is such a novelty. I I think people are going to immediately view it as, as a knockoff. Yeah, because it he doesn't have a similar style to Vanilla Ice. He's not going around with like big like fucking, you know, pantaloon yeah. American flag. Yeah, he's not dancing shit. and shit. And, you know, lyrically he's different. But you wouldn't know that unless you listen to it, you know? Yeah. So uh, in January of 91, uh, Vanilla Ice wins the American Music Award uh, for favorite new artist, tells the critics to kiss his white butt. In February of 91, Vanilla Ice gets parodied on In Living Color and uh, goes on the Asterio Hall show and gets lambasted on that platform. And this is like really when it snowballs into like Vanilla Ice, the national joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like pretty much by spring of 91, like nobody wants anything to do with Vanilla Ice anymore. And this is still when Kid Rock is trying to get the word out about his album. He claims that because of Vanilla Ice, uh, Jive Records underpromoted his record and the label uh, dropped him because they were embarrassed at the prospect of having a Vanilla Ice clone on their label. You know, it, it might be true. I could see the logic behind this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, if you're that label and you want to be cool, that's the last thing you want. Yeah. And Jive, like, uh, they're not like Capitol Records. They are concerned with coolness. Yeah. Like, there is an image associated to their label that's not purely commercial. Like, you know, street cred is a very important commodity in this world. They took a risk, arguably, arguably by signing Kid Rock in the first place. And, you know, now they're seeing that, like, maybe this wasn't the direction we want to go. Yep. So, yeah. So I think Cal and I kind of agree that, like, Vanilla Ice, uh, had a net negative effect on Kid Rock's career. But was that the only thing? And I will argue no, because there there are two more factors that I think really hurt Kid Rock's commercial potential. Reason number two is the sexually explicit lyrics that, as we mentioned, completely saturate yes. this album. It, it's like the point. I feel like it's like the focal point of this album. You can't avoid it. <laughs> yeah. It's like every single song, there's like something really gross or explicit. And uh, I feel like nowadays, like, it's a lot more common. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. WAP was a big hit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. We're, we're talking with the 1990 lens here. Yeah. Like in 1990, we kind of alluded to this in our Space Jam episode. But in the early 90s, booty was considered a dirty word. You know, like just even say, having that word. You know, let alone all the things he wants to do with it. Right. Was uh, really, really out there for the time and really just not something you want on a commercial radio. So Grit Sandwiches for Breakfast, um, it had only one single and astonishingly, there were no music videos produced for this album, which I really have no explanation for why that is. Yeah. Like either he didn't think it was important or the label didn't have enough money for him to do it or or... It things blew up so fast that they didn't even have time to make and one. That could have gone a long way in explaining that he's not a vanilla ice clone. Yeah. You know, having a visual reference there, he's not dancing, he's not he doesn't have the whole vanilla ice shtick. <laughs> you know, you look at the Grit Sandwiches album cover and it's not uh entirely laid out 
which one of those two guys yeah. Kid Rock is. <laughs> Maybe the Jive kind of wants people to think that it's the black guy, <laughs> the one who actually looks cooler and more with it in the in the album cover. Yeah, he's not just a drunk, lost white boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the single on that album, the only single that they released, was a song called "Yodelin' in the Valley." which is a song that is very explicitly about eating pussy. So let's take a listen to that. Unusual, kind of casual, yes. With me, girls are obsessed to get undressed, get fresh and have me yodel in the valley. And I do it at the drop of a dime. Sometimes going from behind, slowly stroking, no joking. My tongue just keeps on poking. And the best type of uchi is the type that tastes like sushi eat it watch your girl get frisky and then wash it down with a shot of whiskey you know it's weird to me that that one was the single yeah because honestly i it's one of my least favorite on the album i i agree i, I think it's kind of cute uh, it's like it's fun, it, but it has a very B-side quality to it. Yeah, it's a weird album opener. Yes, yeah, that is the album opener, and uh, he's clearly very proud of it. He actually said that uh, he played that song for his dad, and his dad uh, kind of like like laughed and joked to his friends about that song. <gasps> um, actually, the whole album, he uh, his mom made him play the whole album in front of her oh <laughs> See, no so like you'll get to some even worse lyrics later on but just like keep that in mind that like he plays this whole thing he's only like 18 19 he plays this whole album in front of his mother <laughs> i don't know but hopefully she's happy that he's at least tries to please women you know <laughs> but uh yeah so Surprise, surprise, that did not get a lot of play on radio. How? <laughs> In fact, uh, one of the very few stations that ever tried to play this song, um, it was a little college radio station in New York. That station got fined $23,000 by the FCC for playing that song. It's <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> Holy shit. I know. I, I agree that's a little bit of an overreach, but like, you know, and this is one thing that like Vanilla Ice actually is surprisingly sexual in uh, his debut album, but he at least knew how to like hide it behind a song yeah, like Ice Ice Baby. It's more subtle. Where Kid Rock is literally saying like, "I'm gonna poke it with my tongue." You yeah, know? which again is like you know, I sh- I guess we should at least give him credit for being relatively progressive for his That's time true. and space. Like like you know, orally pleasuring a woman was kind of looked down upon in in certain circles yeah, so in that the Sopranos age. Sopranos taught me that. Yes. <laughs> so like he is a you know he is a little bit of a feminist in a, in a very <laughs> narrow sense. Um but don't worry there's plenty of uh bitches and hoes and extreme misogyny on this record too. But like I I guess like that's really just the big takeaway is like you really can't exaggerate just how sex obsessed this guy is on this record. It's I mean, and maybe in his defense, like, he doesn't have a sophisticated understanding of social issues, so he can't go the public enemy route. Right. And, like, he also, like, clearly is not a gangsta, so he can't be Ice Cube either. So, like, what can he talk about that's actually interesting? Yeah, and, and when you're an 18-year-old boy, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if 
getting laid was the only reason he even got into rap. <laughs> like, this is what's on your mind at that age. No, that's, that's a totally fair thing. That's probably why most young men get into performing that's of why any they kind. do anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only reason anyone does anything. Yeah, so, like, he's just, you know, being a lot more upfront about it. Before we move on from this subject, like, I want to just kind of really paint a picture of how dirty it actually gets. So we're going to play another song for you guys. This song is called Wax the Booty, and uh, it goes even harder in that direction. And I should just say, uh, you know, listener discretion is advised here. Listen to this. I thought my mission was complete, so I gave her a kiss. Then I was searching for a towel to clean off my dicky, cause it was kinda wet, all bloody and sticky. And go talk about gross, there's something sicker than sick. The bitch dropped to her knees and licked the tip of my dick. I started tripping, cause this was something I've never seen. The girl was more than a freak, she was a sexual fiend. And when I thought that was as gross as one girl could get, she stuck her finger in her booty and then she licked it. Oh, now this girl was much more to me than a freak. In my opinion, she was You're telling me that wasn't a radio hit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, it's one thing to, you know, hear about, like, you know, taking hot girls backstage in a Van Halen song or something. You know, people don't always sign up to hear about, like, girls tasting their own ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, okay. Credit to his vivid imagination, but like, I don't know, that may be a little bit much for some people. <laughs> like his mother. Like his mother. I cannot imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine that room. I imagine that like for that 45 minutes specifically, he probably regretted every decision he ever made. <laughs> it's like, I should have gone to dad's auto business after all. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm not going to say it's not funny. You know, oh, but yeah, it was very funny. It's just like this is not how you achieve mainstream success. This is just like, yeah, this is like Bloodhound Gang level, yes, stuff, yeah, yeah Bloodhound Gang, but like before that was feasible to a mass audience, like, yeah, he just needed to wait 10 years basically. Mm-hmm. But then the final reason that I think this album failed is just it's not good enough of a record, yeah, like, and I just, I'm not trying to be mean here but like you know like as we said it's it's fine it's a straight seven out of ten yeah if you're an unknown that's not gonna rock enough worlds to get you anywhere yeah i mean for a debut effort by a teenager you know a white kid from romeo it is better than it should be and he clearly put a lot of effort into it and he clearly has a, a persona figured out and he's charismatic but the problem is it just doesn't have the hooks for me like Vanilla Ice, yeah. he wasn't great either, but he knew how to. He knew a good hook when he heard one. You know, he like this. This album is missing its Ice Ice Baby. Yeah, now that you say that, I mean, I listened to this thing twice, and I can't, I can't name you a chorus. No. So yeah, you're right. It's just it doesn't have that sticking power. There's yeah. no earworms on here. And like he would kind of figure that out eventually, like, or figure out how to steal somebody else's yeah. <laughs> hook when he couldn't find one of his own, but. Um, here, there's just like, it's just not all there yet. And I, I really just, I can't imagine a scenario where even looking past Vanilla Ice, even if a society was a little bit um, more liberal when it came to sexually explicit lyrics, I just, I don't see this becoming a gigantic hit. 
It doesn't have the X factor that like the Beastie Boys had or even that Vanilla Ice had. I totally agree. Even among just white rappers, there was better rap going on. Yes. <laughs> um, so if you expand the talent pool, then it's he just had no chance at all with this album. No, and like he just he wasn't all there yet as an artist. And then, uh, you know, so as we already mentioned, uh, like this album sold poorly, and uh, sometime in like uh, late ninety, early ninety one, uh, the the record label dropped him. They just like they cut their losses and be like, this this guy was a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, let's let's move on. So you got to think uh, by the time Kid Rock is uh, 20 years old, his life had already been a wild ride from uh, hustling at talent shows to getting signed by a major label to getting dropped by that same label. Like he'd already basically had a behind the music <laughs> career, like, you know, you know, before he was even in his 20s. Yeah, that's crazy. Can't even drink yet. now i'm sure at this point bob ritchie's parents were breathing a sigh of relief perhaps at last their boy would grow up drop this hip-hop nonsense and join his dad's thriving auto business but kid rock had other ideas he was going to become a star no matter how long or how much it took for the next few years bob ritchie would toil away in the detroit underground building a fan base and slowly crafting the unique kid rock image we know today Now, these underground years, which I think produced some of his best overall music, will be the subject of our next episode as we get into Kid Rock Part 2. Woohoo! All right. So how do you feel about that, Cal? It's humble beginnings, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, this dude's uh, career gets so wacky. I think this, it's a little bit of an understated episode, but it's, you're you're seeing the birth of a uh, titan, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I was going to say, I, w- I didn't want a, such a cool word attached to Kid Rock. It's like the, the education of a grifter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, because he's seen what doesn't work. Yeah. And what lessons is he going to take from this experience where he, you know, just tried to be something that he clearly wasn't and it failed. Yeah. And I just know for me personally, my my favorite episodes are the ones when we get to listen to some really cringy shit. Yeah. And, you know, he's just, he's not cringe yet. Not really. It's I mean, a, for the for the, the time period and his age, the album we listened to today was fine. I think musically it's not cringe. I think image-wise, uh, it's pretty cringe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I guess just, to anyone older than, like, 24, you're, you'd be embarrassed listening to this. But. Like, just, but just the idea of, like, this white kid trying so hard to, like, Act like he's not from the suburbs yeah. and doing the flat top that now looks totally dated and the you flat know. top is cringe. Yeah. That and, picture is hilarious. And that fucking album cover, watch it which, which I implore you guys to Google for yourselves. But really, as we kind of transition to this next episode, which is gonna kind of focus on the years like nineteen ninety-two to nineteen ninety-eight, where you know he's kind of putting out independent music in the Detroit underground, that is gonna be so much different from what you uh, heard in this episode. And that's when we're going to really see Kid Rock start to ferment his own identity and become something like the Kid Rock that, you know, we see in Devil Without a Cause eventually. So this series, I promise you, is going to get a lot more interesting, a lot more weird. All right. So uh, thank you guys for listening. It's a brand new year. 
brand new series, brand new season. We've got so much coming down the pipe for you guys. Uh, we're still trying to figure out what all we want to cover in 2023, how we want to expand this show, um, expand uh, ways of connecting with you guys. So please, please follow us on social media, even though we bitch about, you know, <laughs> like our interactions with these platforms all the time. We are on Polish. Uh, we're on Instagram at polishing.turds. And uh, Facebook, Polishing underscore turds. Twitter, Polishing underscore turds. Um, if you want to email us uh, with any sort of ideas at all, it's Polishing Turds Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. But otherwise, um, stay cool. And remember, gratitude is always on trend. Yeah. New catchphrase. <laughs> new year, new catchphrase. New year, new sign off. Peace. Yeah!